check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Hello, and welcome to Red Storm Chasers. I'm Vincent, here with Craig, Tim, and Nick. Another exciting week of St. John's basketball coming to you. But first, let's talk about Thanksgiving. Guys, how was it? A lot of beverages. Always a lot of beverages. Thanksgiving was good. Hosted. Everyone was at my house, minus Tim. Sorry, Tim, you got your own thing you got to do. Yep. Um, but it was good. It was good to have everybody over. Like I said last week, I love Thanksgiving. My favorite meal. Um, it's always a good to get family together. It was good this year to have everybody together after last year. Um, personally, I I mean, I love turkey. So for me, it's great. Stuffing, for me, is the best side. I don't know what you guys think. Tim, what's your favorite side? Uh, for me, it's got to be mashed potatoes. I'm with you. It's got to be mashed potatoes. I don't like mashed potatoes. No, we all know the best side is corn. Loser. What was that, Nick? Did you say corn? Corn by far. Come the on. Best side. The best side. Because corn is delicious. Is corn. Corn is delicious. It's not the best side at Thanksgiving. Mashed potatoes. Tim is correct. I'm going to be honest. Tim. Maybe maybe mashed potatoes with a little bit of corn intermingled with it with a little gravy. I don't know if that counts as one side, though. That's a, that's a, I mean, like, what you do on your plate is your own business, but single side, it's got to be mashed potatoes. Yeah, I mean, that's a personal thing for me, but I, I appreciate it. I understand people like you don't, mashed potatoes. You don't. I'm, I'm a big cranberry, gravy, stuffing, turkey. That's what you need. But not, not real cranberry. The cranberry sauce that comes out of the can. Yeah, no, it's got to have the ridges. It's got to have the canned ridges. Yeah, no, if it doesn't have the can shape, I feel like it's not, like, I know it's, that's not real cranberries, but. It's the one you want. It, that's that's what you're looking for. It's like spam. It's not really pork. So speaking of stuffing, everyone has their own stuffing theory. Craig, I know you have an interesting take on stuffing, so please enlighten us. Well, it's, I don't think it's my take, but I I think it was Kevin James said it in a stand up, and he said he said you know everyone says that their grandma's recipe is the best for for stuffing. But the scientist at Kraft that would do stovetop stuffing spent all year long creating the best tasting stuffing possible. And I, there's no way that your grandma in Ronkonkoma makes better stuffing than the scientist at Kraft. That's that's my take. That's me. I think that's a fair. I think it's a fair not saying consideration. I'm not saying there aren't stuffings that are good. I, I, I've had lots of homemade stuffing. It's good. People put sausage in it. People put all that kind of stuff in it. It's good. It's different. It's whatever. Stovetop. That's that's for me. That's the way. Well, I mean, it protects you from having those uh, weird stuffings you get at the Thanksgiving. You just walk into and you look and you go, dried cranberries? Really? Yeah. I mean, we don't need that. We don't need that in our lives. So I'm sure everyone's still filled up on turkey leftovers. This is what, day like four of eating turkey leftovers? Turkey Thanksgiving sandwiches every day, all day, twice a day. I mean, luckily my uh, my wife does not like turkey at all. So for Friendsgiving, I made a ham. So now I have a nice balance of ham and turkey. What was a good ham? I'm not a big ham guy, Tim, but you did a you did a bang up job. Well, I am a big ham guy, and Tim, your ham was delicious. Don't get me wrong, I like turkey too, but ham holds a special place in my heart. All right, moving on from Thanksgiving. Last week, two St. John's games to talk about, and in pure St. John's fashion. We played to the level of our competition, just like we've done for the past, I don't know, 25 years. So let's start Tuesday night before Thanksgiving. 76-70 to 70 victory over St. Francis of Brooklyn. Julian Champagny leading the way with 23 points. 
Montez Mathis, second on the team with 20 points. And then Dylan Adayawusu and Steph Smith, both with 10. A disappointing game in that we should have beaten them by a lot more. A six-point victory at home against St. Francis of Brooklyn is not what we should be looking for. We were favored by 27, just for reference. Three of 14 from three, just 21%. We have been living and dying with the three. We talked about that earlier. And this team, if we can't shoot threes and we struggle to shoot like we have, it could be a long season. Yeah, I mean, with this game, we did have a a little different feel with Wusu bringing up the ball sometimes. Uh, I mean, you look at it, he did have five turnovers. It's not his cup of tea. We were down Posh. Right, no Posh Alexander, no pin zone. Obviously, our two point guards essentially out. So we had to find someone else. I think a Daiwusu though, they're gonna play him at the at the point. That's that's what they're looking for him. I mean, he did struggle with five turnovers. He, he you know, it doesn't seem natural for him. But he, you know, he they're gonna give him shots at it, and that's that's the plan. So he, you know, he's working at it. And he remember, we do kind of forget he is coming back from an injury. He didn't really practice for much of the off season, so he's still kind of rounding out into form. But it. Without having Posh, we definitely felt the effect against St. Francis. We, we really did, did win the turnover battle, 21-12, to 12, but we got absolutely embarrassed in the rebounding game. We lost 40-26, to 26, which against a team like St. Francis of Brooklyn is just not something that we should be allowed to do, quite frankly. That is completely unacceptable. 100%. And it goes back to something I've been saying for the past couple weeks and multiple games. We're not boxing guys out. We're just flat out not boxing guys out. We did get a little bit. I mean, every now and then, right, we look a little bit better at it. But then we take one step forward and three steps back. I mean, I don't know. Soriano has been very good for us offensively. Defensively, he's been uh, he's been a very big presence, him being just a big body. But he, he doesn't box out. So that leads to more offense for them because they get the offensive rebound and it, we we got to get the def. I mean, we got to get the rebounds on defense. It's just, we got to do it. And we're not doing it. I think also if you look back at the game, they were small, so we played a small line. I mean, Soriano only had thirteen minutes. Wheeler had eleven. Stanley had ten. Most of the time, Julian was the biggest guy on the court for us, and he had six rebounds, six rebounds, and seven for for Adaiwusu. So, you know, we did play with a smaller lineup, which obviously doesn't help with the rebounding. They got a lot of offensive rebounds, which we, we struggled with to stop them, which gave them a lot of second-chance opportunities, which kept them in the game. And we just couldn't put them away. You know, Actually, we not even couldn't put them away. We were behind most of the game. We only really took the lead and, and kind of you know took the charge around the five-minute mark to go. I mean, this game was, was close. Now, look, let's look at the bright side. They won. That's extremely important because, yeah— was it scary? Were they in it? Was it tight? Yeah, it was. All of those things, 100%. But they won. And at the end of the day, when we go back and look at this game in, in March, we don't have a you know a really bad loss against the St. Francis team. There's another win. It'll tack on to our number, and, and we'll move past it. But, I, you know, there are things to look at. The turnovers, I know we had 12, which isn't really bad. We did turn them over 21 times, which is what we need to do. The first half, we, we did not look good. I mean... We ended up had the end going on a run. Yeah, we were just overall better in the second half. I mean, one thing I thought actually was super interesting stat. Uh, in the first half, St. Francis Brooklyn shot 11 from 21 for three. And 
in the first half, they shot 14 for 31. That means only three of their shots that they made weren't threes. Now, when you consider that with the fact that they shot on the game 11 for 26 or three, that means they only shot five more threes in the whole second half, or five threes in total in the second half. And they missed them all. And they missed them all. That's that's a that's a crazy stat. That's a crazy. Why would you? You would have thought they would have stuck with the three, right? I mean, it was working for them. So why why slow down your three attempts? Well, it wasn't their choice. That's true. That is true. Good point, Tim. In the second half, our defense finally kicked in. The crowd started to kick in, and you could tell they were starting to lose their comfort. Where in the first half we screwed up a decent amount of times and didn't close out in the three-point shot. They were letting Wilcox get wide-open threes, which, especially when he made five for eight from three, that was one of the worst things we could do. And it kept happening. Second half comes around. Wushu's bringing on the pressure. Mathis is doing the same. They're coming up with the ball, trying to set up shots. They've already blown 10 seconds away, and they're still not getting their feet settled. So just the pressure that we put on them in the second half changed everything for them. So, Craig, to your earlier point, though, in the second half, we shot 63% from the field. So we really did come alive. We played much better in the second half. Absolutely. I mean, we we shot 63%. That was a 12% increase from what we shot in the first half. And also a good point for the second half, just when we we were fighting with them, at the 10-minute mark, San Francisco scored their 64th point of the game. For the next 10 minutes, they only scored six more points um, you know, down the stretch. We held them really strong down the end, which is why we were able to make that run, and we ended up winning by six. That's the kind of defense we need to play all the time. You know, we didn't play it the whole game. We didn't – we weren't – you know, I, I think, you know, we – we kind of overlooked some of these teams, and we, you know, we know at the end of the day, we're better. We're a better team. We have better athletes. All that kind of stuff. And so sometimes, you know, we get ahead, and then we kind of let it go, or we look ahead, or we look past. And, and you know, I get it, but we need to stay solid. But look, we won. I mean, I don't. We know. did I keep win. Bringing, at the I end keep of coming the back to that. I mean, I, I hate being negative on it because we won. I mean, look. Yeah, but I, we made the plays we needed to make. At the end, we win. Right? I mean, sure, but before, we're, breaking we're down the game, you have to talk about what we did and what we didn't do well. And I think part of that is just being honest. I don't, I don't think it's being negative. St. John's, this team, should not have beaten St. Francis by six points. This The team that almost beat Indiana is not didn't play the same way they played in that game and this game. And that's the talking point. I mean, that's something that needs to be discussed. Why does this team ebb and flow so much? That's fair. I mean, that's a fair point. I just, you know, I just want to reiterate the fact that we won. I mean, look, we had some good things. Montez Mathis had a great game. He had a great game. He was 8 from 10 of the field, scored 20 points. He filled up the statue in a million other ways. He really played a great, probably might have been the best game as a, as a, red, as a Johnny Wright yet. Um, if he hadn't got kicked out of the Indiana game, well, we're, we're not gonna go back on that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, but so you look, let, we gotta look at some of the bright spots here. I mean, Julian Champagny again with Julian Champagny, he scored twenty three points. Um, he was ten of twenty from the field. I mean, that's, yeah, those there are good people who had good games, games and, and we won the game. I, I understand your point. It's just that when you're talking about the game, I think it it points to this team being. A team that, yeah, at the end of the day, they'll pull out the victory. It's not going to be a clean game. It's going to be a sloppy game. 
and it's not necessarily going to be a blowout. We're not going to walk in and just dominate teams we should dominate. And St. John's has never been that. We've always played to our level of competition for years. I think this team is right on brand in that point, and I just think it's going to be interesting to see how this team, who only beat St. Francis by six, heads into the Big East season and plays against teams that they're not going to be favored against, just like they weren't in Indiana. So we'll get back on track. That's what these games are for. And at the end of the day, a win's a win, just like you said. I would say this with Anderson. He always says his teams start to perform at their best in January. And we could see last year, I think it was by the end of January, everything started to kick in. Yeah. And once again, we are with a team that's returning only three players, I believe. Three. Yeah, yeah just three. So, not surprising here that we're having mistakes that hit us and make us look bad against these small teams. But we got to look on the higher points of at the 10-minute mark, we were down nine. For the next five minutes, we just shut them down the whole time, took the lead, and then finished it off. I would love to say that the only reason this game wasn't a blowout was because of Posh not being in and our second-best player and our point guard being out. But we'll talk about it later. It didn't matter if that for NJIT at all, so can't really use that excuse, I guess. For sure. Let's move on to the NJIT game. That was Saturday. St. John's came away with a 77-68 to victory. Posh Alexander did play, and he led the way with 16 points, along with Joel Suriano. That game went to overtime, too. That game did go to overtime. Julian Champagny, 14 points. Montez Mathis, 10 points. Difference in rebounding completely. We won the rebound battle 51-39. to Still bad from three, though. Five of 24, that's still just 20%. Yeah, I mean, you look at three of our guys have been our most consistent three-point shooters by the beginning of the season, Julian, Posh, and Coburn. Each of them hit one three, but Julian one for four, Posh one for six, Coburn one for five. It's three for 15. That's horrendous. I, the, I think a big point of the NJIT game, too, that we have to talk about, again, is the turnovers. I mean, we turned the ball over 18 times. That's why it was close. I mean, we also didn't shoot well from the field, which we usually do, actually. I think they said a stat during the game that we are top five, I think third, I want to say. Yeah, we were three in the country in shooting percentage. In shooting like percentage, correct. I don't, don't call me on the exact number, but I think it was in – I think it was like 52.8 or 58.2. Yeah, and we shot 39% from the field against NJIT. So they did a good job. Um, I think the, the, they had, the guy who was defending Julian Champagny did a great job. He was stuck to him. I mean, he just I was watching. He just, he just couldn't get open. I mean, he still you – know, Julian still scored, scored some points, and he still had a good game because he's Julian. But Played they did a good job the game. They really did a good job on him. I was surprised by Nyway. Got some playing minutes. He and, did. Uh, Good rebounding, blocking shots, playing smart. He's not going to be an offensive juggernaut for us, but he came in, played 15 minutes, and did the defensive stats that we needed from him. He gave us a spark. He really did give us a spark. Three three blocks in that game, three rebounds. You can't really ask much more for him than that off the bench. Absolutely not. The big point, too, in overtime, 
which I love to see, was that they just kept feeding the ball to Soriano. I mean, that it worked out well. He just bodied that kid, and he just – when he needed the baskets, we know he could dump it in, and he would just bag it down, and, and he was getting it, and he was hot in, in overtime. And he was the huge factor in us, you know, controlling the overtime and, and really pulling away in overtime where it wasn't it wasn't as close down the stretch. I mean, at the end of the game, it, w- it was close, obviously, but in overtime – it really wasn't. It, most of that was thanks to Joe Soriano and them getting the ball, and he just, he just, you know. Yeah, I mean, he started. He started to like develop that earlier in the game. They were, they were, um, dumping it off into him, and at first they were just kind of letting him do his thing, and then he made a couple back, made a couple hook shots that were pretty nice, and then he asserted himself and was made himself a presence, and then they started to have to. Uh, like guard, like the guard who was around the perimeter would kind of try to cheat in and try to poke it out from him, and, and then he would pass it out to that man's guy for the open three, and then it you know it opened up the floor for the guards on the perimeter, which was great because they got to play more, they got to you know have more freedom, have more space, and then they could do more. And then their guy had to go back on him, and to Craig's point, later in the game in overtime, they had been conditioned to doing that and going back, and then they would dump it back into Soriano. And then he could, you know, do his work. He'd do whatever he needed to do. They did have a two-inch advantage over their tallest player, which helped him have his best game of the year. And nine rebounds. Not bad. He could have boxed out more. You know, I was watching. I was watching. The eyes in the sky don't lie, baby. Yeah, I mean, when he was shooting the the hook shot being five feet out, I kept saying in my head, just take another step in make him jump, and then do an easy layup two feet within. But he had the two-inch, and that really matters on vision. So it wasn't really that hard of a shot for him. A lot of us would like to see him just slam it down each time. But even though being five feet out, it was still a well-calculated shot by Soriano each time he did it. I wish he would get a little a little cream hook going. If we can get that going, that would be nice. I mean, he does have a nice hook shot. I mean, he, he made it a bunch of times. And in reality, he um, – never mind, my mind's blank. I don't know what I was going to say. <laughs> if you can make that – My mind uh, is blank. <laughs> if you can make that a consistent shot in his in his bag, that would be very advantageous coming to Big East play, in particular against Georgetown. So a big thing that happened in the second half that we need to talk about is we finally kind of took control of the game. We got up by 16. With the around 11, 11 minutes, mark. To, yeah, the 11 minute mark. That's right. And so we got to the, we got up 16, and then we, there was a timeout, and then we took out Posh and Julian, and brought in some of the subs. And from that point on, from the 11 the 11 minute mark until about 2:59 to go, we only scored two points. That's when we let them get back in the game. We kind of took the foot off the gas. I mean, really, what happens? We took the foot off the gas. Uh, and when that happens, you know, you have trouble. And you let them back in the game. And like we said before, once a team thinks they can win, then all of a sudden the shots start falling because they have the confidence. They really they really can get there. Uh, and that's why it ended up being so close at the end. We, we You know, when we got to the 16-point, I was like, all right, I think here's where we here's where we drive away. Here's where we kind of, you know, really pull away from them and now we, we can go back to what we thought this day was going to be. So we do have a tendency of taking our foot off the gas, which is something that Mike Anderson's teams aren't supposed to do. It's supposed to be 40 minutes of hell, but we seem to pull our foot off the gas pretty frequently in games, 
and we leave ourselves open to moments like that where our offense goes stagnant, our defense, we have the backups in, so they start hitting shots, and all of a sudden, whatever lead we've built up rapidly shrinks. Yeah, I mean, you go back to when you got hired, you talk about it. It's like, oh, yeah, we'll have 35 minutes of hell and then five minutes of what the hell. <laughs> yeah. We got our what the hell at that point. Yeah. I, I mean, again, just to reiterate the point again, we won at the end of the day. Tough no, years. I mean, I got to – I mean, I'll be the positive cheerleader on the side here, but a win's a win. At the end of the day, we're 5-1. and one. Yeah, I mean, we're 5-1 and one just defensive-wise – our steals are fantastic. We are just pit bulls attacking every guy with the ball. It's been fantastic. Julian with three steals. Posh with four steals. Mathis with four steals. Tolling out 15 steals for the whole team. That's amazing. We had 20 turnovers. Uh, sorry, NJIT had 20 turnovers, and 15 of those came on steals. That's pretty awesome. That's, that's really good. That's really, really good. Let's talk about... A major moment in the NJIT game, the game, or I guess the reason we ended up going into overtime was how long we took on the last play of the game. With the final play, we did get to see one of our two All-Stars actually have the ball. We got what we wanted. Posh had the ball, but I think it was about the six-second mark. That he started to dribble heavy and dribble right off his foot. Yeah, I think he needs to go sooner on that. That would be my – look, he dribbled off his foot. It's unfortunate. It was, you know, it, whatever. But part of it is because I think the timer's running down and he had to he had to try to make a quick move. And we probably should have started – you know, you want to get started with there like 12 seconds to go. Then you're more yeah. apt – look, if you miss it, you have a chance to get a rebound. And if you don't miss it, you make it. Or you got to defend for a few seconds. But – I. I think it's better than trying to. I mean, I think, like I Tim mean, said, I think six seconds or something. Yeah, you, you got to let the play develop a little bit, and six seconds is just too short. We waited too long. It was good to have Posh having the ball. Uh, thankfully, he did, because had that been somebody else who dribbled off their foot, they probably wouldn't have saved it. But absolutely, you, you, we need to start that play earlier. We need to get going. And if you look at the rest of the team, they didn't really kick into action until Posh got over the center of the three-point line, which is also not good. Even though he started dribbling at six, it took him about a second to get there. Now the team gets into motion, it's a little too slow going. So part of the reason I think he dribbled off his foot is he's looking for something to happen and nothing is happening. So he's got nowhere to go with the ball, and he's rushing. Now all of a sudden it's an issue, and he dribbles off his foot. No, definitely not the best end-of-game sequence we want to see. Hopefully we, we clean that up. We've always seen this, though. We saw the same thing with Shimori. We're sitting there, tick, 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 tick. Five seconds, okay, time for hero ball. And it would go down sometimes, but then other times we're smacking our head against the wall in the bathrooms after the game when we lose because why didn't we start earlier? Or the paper towel dispenser. <laughs> One thing that I think has become somewhat of a, a theme in the past two seasons, which uh, obviously I'm not very happy about, is that down the stretch, ex- in particular in the last two minutes or last two possessions, we, we're fumbling the ball down the line. I mean, like we, we're talking about it right now. It, uh, Posh did it now. Rasheem Dunn used to do it. Wusu did it in the St. Francis Brooklyn game with like a minute 30 left. 
we just got to have better ball security at the very end. I mean, like, you know, we could talk about the play call and we could talk about how guys should have been doing this, that, and the third, but ball security, it's just, it's as simple as that. It's a one person thing. Even if you, you get rattled or, or any of that fun stuff, it's, it's ball security. We do seem to get sloppy there at the end. I'm not really sure what that is, but you're hundred percent right, Nick. We, we need to clean that up. I mean, that's something that's like, that's, something that's fixable right that's not like your shots aren't falling this game or you know the refs are you know have taken somebody out of the game it's ball handling it's fixable we can't let something like that ruin the game for us or potentially ruin the game for us well we came away with the victory 77 to 68 over njit which brings us to five and one on the year as we get a nice little five-day break heading into our biggest non-conference matchup of the season against Kansas. A much-needed five-day break for this team. Certainly after those two games last week, we could use it. So this game, Friday, 7 p.m. at UBS Arena in Elmont, New York, the first basketball game in this new arena. It's right next to Belmont Park. It holds 18,000 people. It's... Even though it is a neutral site game, it is not. It is going to be a home St. John's game. There's going to be St. John's you know, coloring in the arena, St. John's logos everywhere. It should be a pretty cool atmosphere. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, the St. John's dance team is going to be there, so they have no chance. Always get us hyped. If Kansas brings their dance team, they're just going to have to leave. So I think it should be a really good St. John's environment for us. I mean, it's out on Long Island, opposed to being in the Garden, so it's a little bit harder to get to for you know Kansas alum that live in the city. It might be harder for them to get out there, so it should be a little bit more of a home court advantage than the Garden has been in recent years. Um, as we all know, it, it, you know once we're really good, the Garden can really be a strong home court for us. But when the big teams come in that don't play here often, their alumni always show out, and and for the most part, New York tends to be the second largest alumni base of basically every major school in the country. So there's always a large contingent. Whereas at UBS, I don't know we'll have that. It might be a much more pro St. John's fan, which would be great, which would, would be awesome. Yeah, I expect it to be pretty heavy St. John's and a pretty loud crowd. It is a big arena. That's where the Islanders play. But I do think that in big games, St. John's does bring big crowds. And I think this could be one of them. Yeah, I agree. I think it's also going to be, I mean, I'm just generally interested to see UBS Arena. It's supposed to be state-of-the-art, really nice. Um, excited to see it. And to everybody else's point, I think it's going to be a heavy St. John's crowd being in Elmont. And they also just put a, a new LIRR stop there. It's the, the first new LIRR stop that they've made in half a century, apparently. So um, it's going to be easier for Long Islanders and people in Queens and... Manhattan. And yeah, all that good fun to get some to get to the mass arena. transportation there. That's good. Yeah. Another. Uh, actually, I just I got a couple quick quick facts about a, a little St. John's Kansas connection. If you don't mind me running through it, hit him with us, Nick. All right. First and foremost, our director of basketball operations, Chris Huey, was a manager under Bill Self. Bill Self, current Kansas head coach. Yes, Bill Self, current head. Chris Huey was there as a manager. I want to say I started in fourteen. I want to say he was there in his senior season was 2011 to 12, I believe. And he was actually allowed for the senior day to to play and get in game time uh, at Kansas. And it was like 
all over ESPN. That's and pretty awesome. Big news, big time news. The next St. John's Kansas connection is Mitch Lightfoot. He is uh, he's a fifth year at Kansas now. He got that one extra year from COVID and everything. We actually recruited him extensively when Mullen was there. When uh, I believe it was my also my senior year, actually. It might have been the year after me, but I'm pretty sure it was my senior year because I'm pretty sure I remember him being on campus. And we were, it was between us and Kansas, and he decided Kansas. And the last St. John's Kansas connection is their assistant coach, Norm Roberts, who was the St. John's basketball coach from 2004 to 2010 after the Mike Jarvis era. Norm Roberts did a great job. I, I mean, he brought us back to, to relevancy. We struggled early on his, in his um, in his tenure. We had some suspensions um, for reasons we won't talk about. He was kind of brought in to clean up the program and, and, and get back things back on track, and I think he did a good job at that. He was he was a nice guy. He did a, a good job. He recruited some, some good players, some, some St. John's guys You know, we still think about as a big part of the program. Uh, he recruited a great team that went to the tournament in 2010 and 2011. Uh, he wasn't the coach at that point, but uh, the Justin Burrell, Malik Booth, DJ Kennedy team, those were guys that he recruited. Um, the, the silence was all because I always thought back to Kennedy's knee game blown out, and then the NCAA selection committee decides that, hey, let's put you up against Gonzaga and two huge – oh, no, was it Gonzaga or St. Mary's? Yeah, it was Gonzaga. You're absolutely right. We got we got hosed. Yeah, it was Gonzaga. We got hosed. And, and we, re- we released – talk about St. John's doing the right thing and getting screwed for it. We released DJ Kennedy's status before the NCAA tournament bids came out. So the tournament committee looked at it and said, well, without DJ Kennedy, they're really a six seed. When in retrospect, we probably should have been more on like the four seed line. And that's where we got hosed. You know, most schools would have held back that information, gotten their bid, and then said, oh, actually, DJ Kennedy's not going to play. We did the right thing, and the tournament committee screwed us for it. But anyway, going back to Norm, it's good to have him back. I'm sure he'll probably bittersweet for him to come back and be here um things of what white has been but you know he he's got a great gig at kansas so we're happy for him and i hope we give norm some recognition he did come in at a tumultuous time for us he got us back on track brought that dwight hardy justin brownlee dj kennedy team in which eventually did go to the tournament under steve lavin so he deserves recognition i, I kind of hope we give it to him i know it's not at home in carniseca but it, it should be nice for him to come back. He, he did very well for our school, and I hope we make that point. Let's move a little on into Kansas now. Coming in 5-1 and one on the year, just like we are. Their loss, first time they snapped a 35-game win streak against unranked non-conference opponents in their loss to Dayton. This is a team in Dayton that has a good history but shouldn't have beat Kansas. It was a neutral site game in Disney World, actually. And it's a tough loss for Kansas. I I personally think it's a tougher loss for us because now we get the hardship. They did play Iona uh, the day after their Dayton loss, but we now get them coming in after having snapped a 35-game non-conference unranked win streak, and we're going to bear the brunt of their, I guess, their bounce back. Yeah, we're hoping we could be the one to break that record, but uh, 
Dayton beat us to it a week early, but uh, maybe they expose some things that the coaches can pick up on in the film that'll help us on uh, Friday night. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I was watching, I actually caught the last 16 minutes of that game, the Kansas-Dayton game, and I gotta tell you, Kansas had a lot of problems with Dayton's full-court press, and it didn't look half as good as ours, so if that was, you know, one of the main reasons why, and it it caused a lot of, it didn't cause a lot of turnovers, it caused a lot of, caused a lot of turmoil for them, so if we could turn a little bit of that turmoil into turnovers, I think we're going to have a, a very fun time with Kansas. could be a very interesting game. Yeah, because Kansas, looking at them, they don't really turn the ball over that much. I, I, I get what you're saying. I think you're right. It really just speeds them up, and, and it makes them get out of their rhythm and their offense, which is something that's valuable, even if we're not turning them over, actually. I think we need to work on actually turning them over. That's an important point for us. They, but they did only turn it over seven times in that Dayton loss. So, Nick, you were, we were spot on that they didn't really turn it over a lot. Um, but I think if we can just affect the game and speeding them up, I think that's important. And one thing for us is we need to limit our own turnovers. If they're not turning the ball over, if we're, if we're, it's hard to turn that around. We can't give away points in this game. This is not a game where we can turn it on, turn it off like we're playing NJIT or St. Francis. we got to be on from the beginning. Just like, look, in Indiana, we struggled in the first half, and we spent the whole second half coming back. We need to keep that consistent level of, of play and, and across the board if we want to have a chance in this game. One last thing I think is interesting to take note of. Looking at ESPN, the matchup predictor is only 54.4% for Kansas and 45.6% for us. That's that's encouraging. I like that. Yeah, that's certainly a positive takeaway. I'm not, not really sure where those projections come from, but certainly I'll take it. Let's talk a little bit about Kansas. They're led by Ochi Abaji, who averages 23.6 points a game. He's their he's a guard, but he's mainly their two guard, not their point guard. Uh, Christian Braun, also 13.7 rebounds a game. He leads the team in rebounds. He's also a guard, but he's a three guard more so than Abaji is. And their point guard, Dewan Harris, he'll be facing up against Posh. He averages four assists per game. That's who Posh will have to deal with. But again, a low turnover guy. This is a team that only averages 10.2 turnovers per game. They have a plus 3.8 turnover margin. Those are numbers we're seriously going to have to eat into. We, our opponents average 19.0 turnovers against us. It, clearly, that num- those numbers don't match up. So that's going to be the matchup of the game, seeing what happens with those numbers. Someone's got to give there. Someone's got to give. Well, you saw with the forum game. If they start playing a little too much ISO, not uh, not their star player, but if Braun, Harris, Martin, if they start playing some hero ball, we have good matchups for that. Posh, Mathis, Julian, Steph Smith, they can all guard ISO pretty well. And I think that will cause a little chaos for them if they try to start playing uh, hero ball against our guys. What could be a little scary is if we go back into the live and die by the three mantra that we've had early on this season. Kansas is a team that limits other teams to shoot 28% from three. We've struggled in the past two games. We shot 20% and under from three. So that could be a number that we really need to bump up. We only average 33, I mean, excuse me, 34% from three on the season. That's a number that could also be a key indicator in terms of how we're doing in the game. 
What's interesting for us, too, is going to be that Kansas actually doesn't run a big team out there. They play a lot of guards. They play a lot of four-guard sets sometimes. I mean, we actually have a size advantage, which is not really something I would assume, but Soriano's a, a big factor, and he can play a big role in this game. They have uh, David McCormick there. He's 6'10", 250. Um, him and Soriano is definitely going to be a matchup to watch up. Um, to watch throughout the game, see how it goes. Um, if Soriano can impose his will a little bit there, that would be a huge, a huge boom for us. Actually, we we are a better rebounding team than them. We we actually are a much better rebounding team than them. We average thirty eight rebounds a game. They average thirty three. So we're you know we're definitely that's something we can try to take advantage. And and we saw at the end of the NJIT game, if we can get Soriano some touches, he, you know he can make things happen in the paint. And that's something we might want to look for. Opposed to, you know, taking a lot of threes, like Vincent said, you know, that's something they limit. We got to find the matchups that work for us, and we got to exploit them and, and hit them hard. They are also a 66% free throw shooting team. So if we do have to go all the way to the end and foul and make them shoot at the line, not great. I mean, besides Braun, Braun's uh, lights out. But beyond that, someone's going to miss one. Also on this team, Remy Martin averages 12.2 points, 5.4 rebounds. We've played him before. Yes, we've played him two other times. Um, one time was at the Staples Center my senior year. Um, that was when we had uh, Shimori on the team, Tariq, Justin Marvin, uh, Mark Slavet, and that whole crew. We played him out. We played like a, a, a mini invitational thing. While he was at Arizona While State. While he was at, at Arizona time. State, yeah. We. We ended up losing to them. But then we actually played him in the next season, in the 2019 NCAA first round, and again at Arizona State, and we lost him again. So hopefully this time we change the tides and we beat him. Yeah, I mean, for this year, we thought we were going to get to see one of our top recruits last year uh, that unfortunately went to Kansas, that his father plays for us. Uh, Kyle Cuff Jr. is appearing to going to be a redshirt this year, so we're going to miss that matchup, unfortunately. I think one of the biggest things in the game, uh, Craig talked about Soriano before, I think absolutely Soriano is going to be one of the biggest factors in the game. Um, I mean, aside from Julian and Posh, who I just always expect to do what they're going to do, I think we're going to need to see Coburn start banging some threes, especially the wide-open ones he gets. I think that's going to be, that could be, very well, the make or break point in this game. We're sorry we jinxed you. Please, please don't let it keep happening. <laughs> I, I apologize. Please, basketball gods, we need him to make those open threes. Yeah, we certainly need to shoot better than the 20% we shot against NJIT if we're going to be able to pull off what will be a substantial upset. Yeah, I think also a guy that has been playing really well basically since Indiana is Steph Smith. Um, he's really picked up his play. He's played really well, especially with Posh out. He did a good job of ball handling and, and running the offense, I think. Um, so I, I look for him. Hopefully he can, you know, in big games, he's he's that senior leadership and he can really make an impact on the game a lot of ways. I will say this about Steph Smith. I agree with you. He is, tur- I mean, not turned out to be. He was a phenomenal player before he came. He's a phenomenal player now. The thing is, yes, he's he's produces well and he fills out a stat line like like a coloring book. But the only problem is he's not the three-point shooter that we expected him to be. We needed him to be the, the knockdown shooter who can hit all of his open threes and sometimes even create his own three. He hasn't proven to be that. I think he only has four threes on the season, two of them coming in the last game. That's 
that's not good. That's not. I mean, we got a great player, but we didn't get the player we thought we were getting. I think in the past two games, he's been one of our top three-point shooters, unfortunately. So the Kansas matchup, Friday, 7 p.m., UBS Arena on Fox Sports 1. Should be a good one. The other game we have this week, a quick turnaround. We play Friday and Sunday. Sunday will be at home, Karnasek Arena, 7 p.m. versus the Fordham Rams. Fordham coming into this week 5-3 and three on the season. They play St. Francis of Brooklyn on Wednesday, actually, before they play us. So it'll be interesting to see how they come away in that one. Darius Quinzenberry leads the team with 19 points per game. There are other guys to watch out for. Antonio Day, 18.3 points. And Chuba Omas, 12.4 points per game, 11.4 rebounds, averaging a double-double. Their turnover margin is only plus one. So this is a team we should really dominate in terms of the turnover battle. It should be a game that we go into thinking we're going to win, similar to the NJIT and the St. Francis of Brooklyn game for sure. I'm sure the Kansas game, win or lose, could have an impact on this game. Yeah, it could definitely be a letdown game or either whether we win or lose, there could be an effect on that. Fordham, specifically for Tim, is a very personal rivalry. It's his, his arch nemesis arch outside nemesis. the Big East. Well, that's the key matchup for this game is me versus the mascot. The Fortunately, the Ram. the Ram won't be there, Tim. Don't worry. Oh, he'll show up. Tell the people why, Tim. Tell them why. Tell them your story. So Actually, Craig, you should tell the story. Should I? Or should we have Tim tell it? No, I think I think Craig could sh- should tell us because it happened to Tim. And Craig got to experience it directly next to him. Well, I- I'll open up with just the statement of it was one of those fun double-header days at the Garden where you get to watch St. John's in the first game. We get to see them win. And then we get to see, I think it was a small game, like Fordham versus Wofford or something like that. Something like that. And we get to go down into the student section. Right, so we we moved down. We moved down, me and Tim. We moved down to about third row behind the basket, and we're sitting with the Fordham student section. Uh, and for the rest of the game, every time Tim looked around, the Ram was standing directly next to him and blocking him into the row, cheering, doing whatever. Tim would look away. He's be gone. He come back. There he is, standing right next to him. It was like he was watching him. Actually, it looked like he was like tailing him. I was afraid when we left the building, the Rams were going to follow him out onto Seventh Ave. The other part of that Fordham game, which is a great story, we have to tell because that was a very eventful day. I mean, oh, the, Rams, the halftime show. Yeah, the halftime show. Right? Tim, I mean, tell the, us what happened at halftime. So for the halftime, they had a special event where they took a Fordham student out of the section that we were in. And they got the opportunity to take a half-court shot for a full free tuition for the semester. Uh, just to the left of us, a father and son combo where the son was going to form currently. He got picked. He goes walking on the court. Couldn't be more excited. The was, father, the kid. I mean, naturally, you're getting your semester paid for. I mean, everyone was excited, but you saw him walking out there. You saw him in his hiking boots. You go, no chance. And I'm sure all the people that was running that event looked at him and went, yeah, you're our guy. No way. <laughs> he walks out there. Looks like he's shot a basketball in the past five years like two times. 
grabs that ball, throws it up, nails it. Throws it. The place goes insane. It's, I mean, the da- father next to us is losing his mind. We're all losing. Everyone around us is going crazy. And then out of nowhere, you see the guy that's talking to the commentator look at him and go, shake his head, no, no, puts two fingers up. <laughs> and we're all looking like, what's this guy doing? And all of a sudden, the commentator goes, sorry, 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 two out of three. You need to make two out of three. Change the rules. Change the rules. We can't give away the tuition. Change the rules. Whoa, 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 whoa. Two out of three. Best out of three. Best abort, out of three. abort. Literally, I, we know because we were sitting directly next to them when they came and told them. They 1,000% never said that. They said you can take a half-court shot. If you make it, you get tuition for a semester. Yeah. Right? There. All I mean, they said was just if you make a half-court shot, that's yeah, it. That's what they said. I, I, I was I, the dad's face like was he was slack jawed. I mean he was just standing there in, in disbelief. It, the father looked like someone killed his dog right in front of him. <laughs> it was outrageous. It was one of the one of the craziest things I've ever seen. To be completely honest, and that Fordham game always sticks with me because it was just it was an experience beyond basketball. All right, let's get back into the basketball. Another tie is Fordham. Joel Soriano transferred from Fordham to come to St. John's. He's coming off of his best game of the year heading into this week. So we'll see how he does against Kansas. And then maybe a bit of a, you know, home feeling for him to be in Carneseca against his former team. It should be an interesting matchup. Definitely a little extra motivation for him. May feel like practice. Because he used to verse that team in practice. <laughs> Guys, he went to Fordham. Come on. Oh, that's right. Again. Soriano, my man. Love that guy. Can't wait to watch him eat. Wait, you say eat? Eat? <laughs> E-A-T. E-A-T, like food. Like or in like basketball, he- when you kill the other team, you, you like, like, like big dogs got to eat. The man focused so much on losing weight. You got to talk about his eating habits. <laughs> big dogs got to eat, Tim. All right, all you degenerates out there, just so you know, we went 0-2 this week against the spread. Not even remotely close, so if you bet on us, that was probably not a good week for you. Yeah, you might have had betting pains that way, but to make it a little more lighthearted, I have a a fun little over-under for the Kansas game. What's that, Tim? The line will be 0.5 of either the play-by-play guy or the color guy calling it USB Arena. USB. Mm, that's probably going to happen. I almost even recognize you said USB and not UBS right there. I, th- exactly. I think, yeah, I think I'll take those odds. I think for sure if somebody slips up and says USB. Nick, you're going to take the over the under on that? I, I think I'm actually going to go. I think we're going to go with a push here. I think he's going to start saying USB and catch himself in the middle. Wow. The old, the old even push there. No one wins. Everyone gets their money back. If that happens, Nick. I don't even know what to say to you. Uh, you, you just went full uh, card shark lady with the uh, conductor hat. <laughs> Same. Tiny. Good old tiny. <laughs> For all you degenerates at 3 o'clock in the morning watching card sharks like us back in the day, you may remember tiny. Rip, rip, tiny. She's certainly passed away at this point, so shout out to tiny on the card shark show. <laughs> Well, that'll do it for the show this week. Sorry we ran out of time for Jeff Goodman. Again, I promise we'll do our best to get him on next show. We look forward to seeing you at the Kansas game on Friday night. Let's get the upset. As always, keep chasing.